So I want to begin by reading a scripture that uh, was at the, the top of a page that I've been studying all week long. And I read it this morning. I went, oh my goodness, this, this is for today. It's in James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I thought, how, how important for us today. Because when things like this happen, there's this visceral response. Particularly when you know someone that's been in a situation like this. Your, your heart just needs to respond. And I think we can do that in, in several natural ways that are not necessarily the ways of God. And so one is to become angry. And you don't know who you're angry at necessarily, but you're just angry and you want to let out some emotion. And that's why I love the fact that it says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And if this had been written in 2019, James would have put a preface there. And he says that applies to social media and particularly Facebook as well. I'm almost convinced that James would have done that. He would have said, I need to preface that by saying that when I need you to be quick to hear and slow to speak, I need you to be slow to say something stupid on Facebook. Because we have a tendency sometimes, as emotions well up, we feel like we need to un let them go. We have to unleash them somehow. And we say dumb things. And I would say for all of us that we need to be measured in our response. We need to make sure that our response matches up with the Word of God. And that we not become angry. And in being angry, there's a lot of things that we can do. One thing is you can become angry and you can just say, as people say all the time, you know what, I'm just going to get out of this crazy town. And I would say, which one are you going to that they don't shoot people? <laughs> And like, what town are you going to where there are no drugs? Like, what town are you going to? Because we might all go if, if there's such a thing. Because I didn't know there was such a thing. And, and so our tendency sometimes is to escape. But I will tell you that I don't think escaping is what God has in store for his believers. Because here's what he says over in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Christians, I need to remind you of something today, lest you forget. That you are salt and you are light. And the world in this community needs you. And if you run and hide under a rock that I do not believe we will have carried out our assignments as being salt and light to the world. So I want to ask you not to do that. And I want to ask you not to, to get mad and say, you know what, we'll doggone it. We're just going to punish as many people as we can possibly find. And, and I, I heard on the news when a similar situation happened, it was months ago, and a man was interviewed, and one of the worst things you can do is interview people after something happens. Have any of you ever watched interviews on the news? I'm like, where did you get those folks? Because I don't think they're human. And, but this is a natural response that this man had. 
And they said, what do you think should be done? Another situation months ago. He said, well, you know what the Bible say. As a pastor, anytime I hear someone on a news channel <laughs> speaking to a reporter and saying, you know what the Bible says, I go, ah! I'm like, oh, brace yourself, because you don't know what you're going to get. And he said, you know what the Bible says? It says an eye for an eye and a two for two. I thought, oh, my goodness. And I think that oftentimes we have that mindset is that when stuff's going on, somebody's got to pay. And one of the things that I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing in us over the last few weeks, and a while actually, is that the Holy Spirit is, is, is nudging, he's prodding. You may have felt like he's poking. You might have gone home and said, I think Kevin's messing with me. <laughs> he, he keeps poking that stuff that I don't like. And I will tell you that I believe that I am, and I don't make any apology for it, actually. Because I love you, and I think you need to be poked in that way. And, and if it stirs something in you, it might be because there's something there. And if it just moves completely over you, then so be it. You might be in good shape. You should keep going on about your business. But I have found that where something offends me, there is something in me that is able to be offended. That's not always right. And I, I want us to question this notion in us that the justice of God means that somebody has to pay. That when people do wrong, the first thing we want to do is punish them. And I just want us to look at that because you have been taught, you've heard, you may even believe that that is the natural response. Then when something goes wrong, we're going to find the person and we're going to make them pay. And I have found that that goes about as far as when the sin falls in our lap. And then all of a sudden we don't want justice anymore, we want mercy. And we cry out for mercy. And so what I am saying to you is this. I don't think we can understand the justice of God until we give up and surrender on the altar our desire to make people pay. I think you're going to have to put that on the altar and surrender it before you'll ever even have the faintest notion of what God means when he talks about justice. Oh, it's quiet in the room today. So he begins this message in Matthew chapter uh, 5. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Have any of you ever heard it? Sermon on the Mount. It begins with the Beatitudes. We're going to have to skip that. We don't have time. But the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is a longer message than you would let me preach. But Jesus preaches this message. It covers Matthews 5, 6, 7, and 8. And it covers, oh, it covers so many points. And, and so I just need to prepare you because we're going to end today with chapter 5, verse 48. And here is what it says. We're going to work ourselves up to this point today, okay? It says, therefore, you are to be perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. Hmm. Okay, in case you didn't have your Bible, we don't have it up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you one more time. It says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some of you are saying, okay, I just need to go and walk out because um, 
Yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> so, Elaine, let me tell you what perfect means, okay? Perfect doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. Because there's nobody in the room that can say that. And if you are, your mistake is that you're a liar and you don't know it. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. Perfect means this. It means that you're consistent. That you're regular. That you're uniform in your dealings in all things. That you're consistent. Hmm. Now, it's saying that we're to be Consistent because our Father in heaven is consistent. Now that verse reminds me of First Peter when it says, Be holy, for I am holy. I can't help but believe that these verses aren't speaking about this same thing. That God is consistent. And what I have found the hardest thing to reconcile is this. That God is love, and He is merciful, and He is forgiving. And he is just. How, how do we reconcile? It seems almost impossible to, to reconcile those two things. So one, just for a matter of some definitions of words, because you wanted to leave when it said to be perfect. You didn't know it meant to be regular and consistent and uniform in your dealings in life. Now let's define love for a moment. Because when I speak about love, I don't know if you've been around much, but I don't speak about that sentimental teddy bear kind of love. You can save that for Valentine's Day in your sweetheart. That, that is not what I see when I see love in Scripture. So I'm not talking about this sentimental kind of thing. I'm not talking about this um, sensitive thing. We're just going to love everyone. Well, yeah, we are. But if that means that we're going to tolerate everything, then no, we're not because... If you love somebody, you don't tolerate the things that destroy that person. Right? And if I'm ever going to find a definition of love, then I believe it starts here. It starts in 1 John chapter 1, I or is that chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, God is love. See, I don't even want to start talking about love until I have recognized that God is love and every way he acts is in love. So even when God is just, he is doing it in love. I've used the story before. I'm going to use it again because I think it's good and the Lord brought it to me. So I'm going to use it one more time. If you're tired of it, I'll wake you up in a moment. For everyone who has not heard this story, keep listening. I had a friend and his uh, two children got out of the car at their house. And a dog attacked them. And it starts biting them. And so what does the father do? The father is enraged. By the way, wrath in scripture, it means anger, it means passion. This father was enraged. Now, where is his rage pointed? At his kids? Where? It's at the dog. Because it's the dog that's threatening his kids. So this man gets out of his car and he starts wrestling with this dog. And the dog starts attacking him and biting him and he's got the marks on his arms to show it. And so he throws off this dog and he, he gets the kids up on the porch but the dog comes back and so he finds that he has a, a shovel outside. So he takes the shovel and he starts beating this dog who won't stop and finally the dog leaves. 
And I thought about that years after it happened when I was thinking about the justice of God and the wrath of God. And I have determined this, that the wrath of God is the love of God. That the wrath of God is the love of God. And it is poured out on anything that hurts the ones that he loves. You see, most people believe that the wrath of God is God getting an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that if you do something wrong, he's going to come and he's going to punish you in equal measure to what you did wrong. I believe that when Jesus died, it said that he condemned sin on the cross. You know where his wrath is poured out? On anything that hurts you. That's why some of the stuff that we're doing doesn't work. It's because God's love, his wrath is poured out on that thing because he knows it's going to destroy you if you keep going. And that's why he loves you too much to let it. So when you saw this father, you saw fire in his eyes. And if his kids looked at him at the wrong moment, they would think, that fire is directed at me. And I would say, no, it was directed at the dog. He went right past the kids to get this dog, to get them off of his kids. And I've always said this as a warning, though. There are times that you can give yourself over to sin so many times that now you have become the dog. And it is now you that, are, that is hurting people. And when you're the one that is causing people harm, then the love of God can be poured out on you. That's a dreadful place. And so then, if God loves us that way, then he has to remind us of some things. I reminded you this last week. I want to take you there again. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. There it is, the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so last week, if you weren't here, I preached this message where Jesus comes and he is Jubilee. He, he pronounces to the people that it's a day that they're going to receive rest, that they've been striving and, and Jesus is going to give them rest, that they've been bound up by sin and Jesus is going to set them free, that they've had a debt that they couldn't pay and Jesus is going to pay the debt. And everybody listening to him as he is reading Isaiah 61 is going, yeah, go Jesus, we like him, yes. And then he goes on and they're like, but wait a minute, he, he didn't read our favorite part. And the favorite part was, I have come to declare the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance, it says in Isaiah 61. And it says that Jesus shut up the book there. And they looked at him and they went, why did he shut the book? Because we were waiting for vengeance. The Romans have been occupying us for all this time. And we're waiting for this Messiah to come and he's going to give it to our enemies. Why'd he skip the verse? And then he goes on and he tells them, oh, by the way, you know the, the Romans and the Gentiles that you hate so much? By the way, I'm going to give Jubilee to them too. And they took him out to a cliff and tried to throw him off because he didn't want to get their enemies. <laughs> I thought last week it was kind of like me. I took us all the way to the, to the cliff and I told you that, that God's purpose in life was not to, to get vengeance, but to set men free. And that we needed to surrender in us this thing that wants to make people pay. 
And as I got home uh, Sunday after church, I said, I felt a little bit like Jesus. Like I dropped that on y'all and then I went, whoop, okay, I'll be back next Sunday. <laughs> Just going to let y'all sit on that for a little bit. And I'm going to hide out all week long and try not to be found by you. <laughs> and we wrestle with this. That, that we're not supposed to take vengeance. And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to talk about this thing, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I bet you've heard it preached. Did you ever hear Jesus preach it? See, I bet you've heard it preached, but I want to question whether you heard Jesus preach it or not. So today, God willing, help me preach it the way you'd preach it, Jesus. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He's beginning to set the stage. There are scribes and Pharisees who have been teaching the people what the Word says. They didn't have Bibles, couldn't read. Most of them are illiterate. They're having to depend on these scribes and Pharisees to tell them what the Word says and what it means. Jesus prefaces his message. Pharisees are listening. The people in the common people are listening. By the way, Jesus climbs up on this mountain, and you can't mistake that because the lawgiver Moses climbs up on a mountain. So picture this, Old Testament, Moses climbs up on a mountain and delivers the law. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus climbs up on the mountain to fulfill the law. But before you nod your head, what he does is different than anybody saw coming. And so he says to them, I did not come, verse 17, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So whatever he's getting ready to do is not to destroy anything. He's actually coming, I believe, to make it better. He is coming to where the law couldn't touch our hearts. Jesus is going to speak in such a way that when I hear it, whew, I told Chris Seifert the other day, I said, when I read Matthew Chapter 5, my heart feels like Plato. <laughs> and it feels like Jesus is doing this to my heart. And he's saying, Kevin, I need you to have a heart like mine. Kevin, the, the, there were times where my people had a heart of stone. But I said that when I came, I would give them a heart of flesh. And I want to ask you today to let your heart be like putty. <laughs> and allow God to just mold that thing and, and, and work it and allow your heart to be softened today. And so he says, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And then he says this with the scribes and the Pharisees standing right there. Oh, Jesus is bold. Verse 20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That is not how you win friends with scribes and Pharisees. To pick out a select group of people. Unfortunately, y'all are just the group today, okay? And he points out, he says, unless you, your righteousness exceeds these first three rows, then you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. Now, everybody on the first three rows are going, who do you think you are? And then he goes on, and this is an amazing thing. I'm doing some teaching today. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> He says something that I never saw. Six times he says this. You have heard. And then he follows it up and he says, but I say to you. I never saw that. 
Six times he says, you have heard. Now, where did they hear from? First three rows. Sorry, y'all. Just going to be that way today, okay? He said, you have heard it said, and you heard it from them, but I say to you. And they're sitting there going, who do you think you are? Redefining who the word is. I can just imagine Jesus saying, who do I think I am? I am the word. <laughs> Can you imagine how offensive that is? They're like, that is not the word. And Jesus says, I am the word. <laughs> Your righteousness is just in word. My righteousness is ooh, perfect. It is consistent. In what I say, and it is consistent in what I do, and it is consistent in how I live. It is consistent before the just, and it is consistent before the unjust. I am the word. And then he says, but I say to you. And he begins to say things, and he changes their understanding. And I could just imagine them looking at them and going, that is not what the word says. And Jesus looks at them and he says, it does now. Literally, they would have said, that is not what the Word said. And Jesus says, it does now. Because I'm fulfilling the law in me. Here's what you need to know. Everything that you read in the Old Testament has to be put through the cross and the life of Jesus. And it has to come out the other side. And you need to see if it ends at Jesus or if it is carried through the cross and the life of Jesus. Because if you mess up, you'll carry some stuff you weren't supposed to carry. Yeah? Yeah. Like none of y'all want to be sacrificing animals on a regular basis, right? So I'm assuming all of y'all thought that at the cross and Jesus, that changed. That stopped, right? Yeah, we don't go to church on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. We come on the Lord's Day to worship a risen Savior. None of y'all seem to have a problem worshiping on Sunday and not on the Sabbath. You think that Jesus came and became the Sabbath. He said, I am the Sabbath. I'm the one that gives you rest. And you go, okay, that changed. Now what he's getting to is that whole thing that you thought you knew about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Guess what? When you run it through the cross and you run it through me, it doesn't mean what you thought it meant. So now let's see if we can get to that. I wish I had time. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you those things. He, he, he does it six times. He says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit murder. What does Jesus do? He tells them, I tell you that if you have hatred in your heart, and if you call a person a fool, then you've already committed murder. Now, what does that do to the Pharisees? He is calling them on the mat that they are willing to smile and act like we are good because we have not committed murder when there is a heart inside of them that is desperately dark and wicked. Mm. And so he calls them on their heart. And then he says, you have heard it said, and, and he says that you shall not commit mur uh, adultery, but he says, but I say to you that even if you looked on lust with someone that you've committed adultery. 
Do you see how Jesus takes it from being able to check something off to making it about your heart? That's why he's not abolishing anything. He's perfecting it. He said, I want you to be consistent in life. He keeps going. There's a third one. He says, you have heard it said that you cannot send your wife away unless you give her a certificate of divorce. And he says, no, this thing is about adultery. I don't even have time to go into that. Uh, he goes on and he says, again, you have heard it said that you shall not make false vows. He looks at them, he says this, would you just let your yes be yes and your no be no? Would you quit making vows about stuff? Kim, do people still lay hands on the Bible and swear to tell the truth in court? Or have y'all just completely gotten rid of that? You still raise your right hand and swear, right? Yeah. You, you know what? Jesus is saying to them there that it doesn't matter what you swear by if you swear by an oath or you swear by a Bible or you lay your hand on the Bible or you swear something by your mama's grave. You, you know what he's saying? That you ought to be such a person of integrity that when you say no, everybody around you knows what no means. It means no. And when you say yes, everybody around you knows what yes means. It means yes. And he says, you need to carry yourself in, in that way. And then he goes on and he says, you have heard it said, verse 38. Whew, we made it, D. I got there. Yes, Four more hours, y'all will be done. <laughs> Just kidding. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And before I get to what he says, but I say to you, think about this. In the Old Testament, he's drawing on Exodus and he's drawing from Leviticus. And here's what it says. But if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And what they had taken that to mean is this. That when somebody does something to you, then do the same thing to them. And we carry that into life. That is actually not something that Christ gives us. That's what the world taught you. We saw that in the Word because we wanted to see that in the Word. You see, when your heart's not right, you'll read stuff in Scripture that's not even there. And we'll use Scripture to defend that, and we'll say, you know what? If somebody hurt me, I'll hurt them back. Somebody did something to me, I'll get them back. Somebody slighted me, I'll slight them. And we justify it somehow as saying, well, that's what the Bible says. My friend on the news, that's not what the Bible says, is it? Listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And if we're reading that, some of us ought to say, Oh no, I ain't doing that. Mm. I'm not doing that. So we need to see if we can understand what Jesus is saying. So he says, turn the other cheek. Brantley's been wanting to do this all week because we've been practicing this whole slapping thing so I could get this down for you guys. But I'm not going to give you the privilege of slapping me. 
Because we're not gonna we're not gonna espouse violence for women on men or men on women. And, and can I just say that also, by the way, is that when you see this, that does not mean that if you're a woman in an abusive relationship that you need to sit there and let a man beat you. That is wrong. Okay? And can I also say that if you're a woman that slaps a man, you're wrong too. Because both of them are wrong. Okay? So Chris, you've been wanting to slap me, I'm sure. As long as we don't say. So come on up here. It's the day you've been waiting for. God does answer prayers. <laughs> Y'all get too excited. <laughs> oh, I should have picked a smaller person. Okay. Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek. Now, let me explain something. Stay. <laughs> this is not a punch. It's a slap for a reason. Because it's not talking about when somebody walks up and you're just in an argument and, and, and they pop you in the mouth at the bar. That's not what we're talking about, okay? It is a, a slap. It is a, a backhanded slap. In their customs, you slap people who were inferior to you. So a slap is an insult, and it's shameful, and it's done in public or even in private, and it's made to put you in your place. It's a, and, and you can feel it, right? When you, you think of that drawing back with the back of your hand to hit somebody, you realize this is more than inflicting physical harm. This is to do something to a person's psyche. It is to bring insult and it is to bring shame. Now watch what happens. It says that, okay, it's your right hand and we're going real slow. It's like slow motion. Okay, so now draw back real far. All right. Further than that, come on, we've known each other a long time. Okay, okay, all right. Now, now go slow. Now, when he comes across and he slaps, now watch what happens. Follow all the way through. Boom. Now watch what happens. It doesn't end there. What does Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Now watch what happens. Now hit me again. You got to stay. Yeah, come back. Now watch what happens. Now he has to hit me as an equal. You see that? You see what Jesus is saying to stay there is this. <laughs> And I think you see it most clearly when Jesus is being beaten by the Roman soldiers. One of them slaps him. So act like that's going through. Slaps him. Boom. Jesus turns back to him and he says this. If what I said to you is wrong, then you tell me what I said is wrong. But if not, why did you strike me? You see that? Jesus didn't cower to the soldier a bit. He, he didn't surrender to this place in his life that said, I'm submitted to you and I just got to take what's coming. He looks at him and he says, if there was a good reason for that, you should tell me. If not, why did you do that? Ooh, now the person who is there can't figure out why he didn't get slapped back. He can't figure out why he didn't get slapped back. And that's the point. It is not telling you that you should let somebody hit you. It is that when someone lashes out at you, when someone strikes at you for no good reason, you have every reason to stand there and say, did I do something to you? Because if I did, I want to make it right. But if I didn't, 
I need you to explain why you're acting the way you're acting. Does anybody feel the weight of that other than me? Woo! The person doing that now has to look at that person and go, that person doesn't fear me. That person is not moved by me. And I will tell you that in following Christ, he did not ask you to be a doormat. Do you realize that nobody took Jesus' life? He laid it down. When they took him to the edge of the cliff, they were trying to take his life, but it wasn't time. And he walked through the midst of them and was like, see you, fellas. Not time, not happening. So you don't take anything from Jesus. In fact, you don't even manipulate Jesus. We try to do that. His friends came to him and said, Jesus, our brother Lazarus is dying, and if you just come, then you can save him. And he says, nope, can't come right now. And, and they try to move him. But you don't move Jesus. Why? Because he's not moving according to the whims of the people around him. He's moving based on the whims of God. And that's perfect. That's consistent in all things. And then he says, if you're in court and somebody sues you and they take your coat from you. Well, back then, y'all, they didn't run around with all the stuff that you had. Do you know what the ordinary Jew held? Because they're in occupation of Rome. They had an undergarment, like a long t-shirt that they would wrap up with a belt and they had a cloak, a coat that they would wear. And most people didn't have more than one. And this coat represented a lot of things. When you were cold, it kept you warm. When the sun was beaming down, you covered yourself to keep the sun off of you. When you were going to go to sleep at night, you would cover up in this thing like a blanket. Or if it was, uh, the weather was good, you would roll it up and it would form a pillow for you. So to take a man's coat was to take everything he owned. And Jesus says, not that you're supposed to let everybody take everything that you own, but imagine what happens. Someone sues. This is a person who is greedy. You ever met a greedy person? A, a person who is trying to take unlawfully, immorally from people. And when people do that, our natural reaction is, oh, you think you're going to try to take something from me? Look at here, buddy. And then we try to find a way to get revenge, to get spite. We want to get back. You think you're going to mess with me? And what Jesus says is, you're supposed to look at them and say, oh, you want my coat? Well, here. Oh, and guess what? By the way, he says, you want my shirt? Here. You can have that too. And there he stands naked before the court. And you know what he did? In his willingness to give everything, the one who is the most naked is the greedy person. Oh, I hope you got that. You see, when you give your coat to the person who is trying to get over on you, what happens is you don't let them get away. No, what you did is by your own exposure, you have exposed them. You have exposed them for their bad intentions. And where there has been darkness, all of a sudden, everybody who sees that goes, she's different. I don't know what's going on in her life, but that woman's different. Like, that person said all kind of stuff, and she didn't. That person treated her all kind of bad ways. She didn't. 
And what happens is then you expose that person. It, it lets the light of God come in. Then this one. He says if you are supposed to carry a bag one mile, that you carry it two. It was a Roman law that a Roman soldier could ask a Jew to carry his bags for him one mile. That was an obligation. So a Roman soldier could walk up to, let's say, any of you and say, hey, you, carry my bags. Now, this is their enemy, the one who is in occupation of them, who treats them badly. And what Jesus is saying is this, is that you grab up the bag and you begin to walk. And you're coming upon the mile and the Roman soldier looks at you and he says, hey, you, you can stop right there. Your mile's over. Put my bag down. And you look at the Roman soldier and you say, if it's all right with you, I'll just keep walking with you. And I'll, and I'll keep carrying the bag. So come on, let's, let's go. Let's just keep walking. And he says, what are you doing? You, you know you could put my bag down back there. Yeah, I, I know I could. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing this on my accord. I, I'm doing this because I want to. In fact, as I've walked that first mile with you, I've actually found that I, I actually like you. <laughs> I I found that you're not nearly as bad as I thought you were, that, that everybody says that Roman soldiers are this or that, but you know what? I, I bet you have a family, I bet you have a wife, and I bet you have kids. And I bet you there's less that separates us and more that puts us in common. So if it's okay, I'd like to just keep walking because now I'm not walking because I have to, I'm walking because I, I want to. Because you see, I serve a, a Savior. I don't know if you know Him or not, but His name is Jesus. And you crucified Him on a cross, but He never did anything to you guys. He, he never lashed out. He never said anything. He didn't curse you back. And He rose again on the third day. And He has absolutely transformed my life. So what I'm doing, I'm not doing because you made me. You didn't make me walk the first mile. I walked it because I wanted to. You don't get to take anything from me. I willingly lay it down. Now, would you like to keep walking? And the Roman soldier looks and has to go, what in the world? I have never seen anything like that. And you see, by simply doing what Jesus said, righteousness is revealed. And sin is put on a public display. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he put sin on public display? The worst of all sin. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> Can we keep reading? Listen to this, verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Whew. You hear what he's saying? Everybody would tell you that you, you love the people who love you. In fact, I hear young people say this all the time. I wish they were in here. I would say it to them. Take it home with them. Can you, Mom and Daddy? Take this home with your kids. Young people will say all the time, you treat me with respect, I treat you with respect. You, you disrespect me, I disrespect you. You know what I hear in that? I hear a young man or a young woman 
who says they're going to live an inconsistent life because they're going to let what other people do determine how they're going to live their life. And God made you for more than that. You see, we need a group of teenagers. But maybe before we have a group of teenagers, we'll have a repentant group of adults who repent and get right with the word and rather than say, you mess with me, I'll get my eye and I'll get my tooth and I'll get my bruise, but we'll say this, I am going to love even my enemies because when I look at the person who does evil to me, I'm going to do good. You know why? Because evil doesn't control me. Does the evil control you? Do evil people control you? Are you letting the whims of the devil determine how you're going to respond to people and circumstances? And I would say, if you have, there's a better way. That Jesus is inviting you. He says, you'll be called sons. What does that mean? He says, you'll carry my heart if you understand what it means to love and do good where evil is present. Because what you will demonstrate is that you are cut from a different cloth. You are other than. You are because I am holy. God looks at you and says, oh, I'm so proud of them. They look just like me. That person was criticizing them. That person was trying to get over on them. That person was trying to take advantage of them. That person disrespected them. And what did they do? They just kept being consistently good. Final verses. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you hear that? If you only can love the people who love you, you have not accomplished anything. <laughs> you, you haven't demonstrated the heart of the Father or the heart of Jesus. Jesus demonstrates his holiness while he is sitting on the cross dying for people who don't Deserve it. And he's asking if people will live a life of salt and light to a world that still doesn't deserve it. And I want to ask you, are you willing to live that way? Can, can you look into the word of God and see something in Jesus that you don't see in other people and say, you know what, I want to be like that. So here's my declaration to you. I am not, if perfect means never doing anything wrong, not me. Count me out. <laughs> but if perfect means being consistent, then yeah, I want to be that so bad. I, I, I want to carry that heart of God into every situation. And so I want to tell you as Christians that when something happens like happened this week, our tendency is to either want to give up or want to see somebody paid, to see somebody have to pay for what happened. And I believe we have to endure. We have to be salt and light. We have to keep going. Don't quit, Christians. Don't quit shining. 
Don't quit doing good. 